You know, I don't know about you guys, but not only do you get a worship, but for me, every time I come in here on a Sunday, it's like getting a free concert at the same time. Amen? It's awesome. I love it. I love it. So, you know, as we've been going through this series, you know, Scott said, hey, favorite book, favorite chapter, favorite story. I'm like, I don't have a favorite per se. I have a lot of obnoxious things that I find in there in the middle of that. But um, I thought about doing a, a sermon on having a pharisectomy. Think that through for a minute. You know, getting rid of that religious spirit. I'll save that for another time, though. Pharisectomy. It's just got a nice ring to it. I didn't make that up, but I like it. So then I started talking to some other folks, and we started thinking about the Holy Spirit and some other things. And I was like, you know what? I haven't heard anything on the Holy Spirit lately. So then I decided to go down that road, and it's there's no one chapter that specifically says, okay, this is all about the Holy Spirit. And then I started getting into spiritual gifts, and I was like, okay, let's talk about spiritual gifts for a while. So that's what we're going to do today, and it fits nicely with our theme here of shoulder to shoulder anyhow, and where we fit in with a lot of this stuff. So just right off the bat, let me tell you, there's not a whole lot of agreement when it comes to spiritual gifts, uh, what different churches what different individuals, what organizations believe. They all have something else that they bring to the table. Some of that stuff is nonsense. Some of it is very plainly spelled out in Scripture. And then there's other things. Okay, there's some gray there. I get that. But not all of it is gray. You know, uh, Paul himself said, Hey, now I know in part, then I'll know fully. We prophesy in part. You know, so... We do know things, and so that's what I'm going to hit on today. I'm not going to go through the individual gifts of the Holy Spirit. I'm going to go through the principles behind those gifts so that we can dispel some of the weirdness that's going on out there. So first thing I'm going to do is let's turn to 1 Corinthians chapter 12, and we'll start in verse 4, because it specifically talks about spiritual gifts. He says, there are different kinds of gifts, but the same Spirit There are different kinds of service, but the same Lord. There are different kinds of working, but the same God works all of them in all men. Now to each one, the manifestation of the Spirit is given for the common good. To one, there's given through the Spirit the message of wisdom. To another, the message of knowledge by means of the same Spirit. To another, faith by the same Spirit. To another, Gifts of healing by that one spirit. To another, miraculous powers. To another, prophecy. To another, distinguishing between spirits. To another, speaking in different kinds of tongues. And to still another, the interpretation of tongues. Last verse from this part portion is verse 11. He says, All these are the work of one and the same spirit, and he meaning the Holy Spirit, gives them to each one, which is us, as he determines. So here is our first principle. You do not choose your spiritual gifts. They are given to you from God himself through the Holy Spirit. You do not get to pick those things. Now we'll talk here in a little bit about desiring other gifts and moving on from what God has originally given you, but you are not able to just choose those things. I've heard stories of people trying to force a gift to the surface, right? In fact, I was on a a cruise ship a couple years ago, 
And this guy, and I was reading my scriptures out there, trying to be that guy out there on the cruise ship. They're like, really? Right? I wasn't trying to be that guy. I was genuinely reading. And this guy came up out of the blue, out of nowhere, and he's like, have you received your prayer language yet? And I said, yeah, English. <laughs> and I knew where he was headed right off the bat. Right off the bat. He's like, well, yeah, but what about your prayer language? Have you, have you prayed and sought that out? And I said, what are you talking about? And he goes, you know, when you get that spiritual language between you and God, and it's just this and that and that, and you need to start going down this road of conjuring this thing up. That's not the word he used, but it was kind of going down that road. That if you practice, 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 eventually you'll get this thing. I don't see anywhere in the New Testament or the Old Testament where somebody is like, hey, you know what? If I really work on this thing, it'll start oozing out of my pores, and eventually this gift will come to the surface. I don't see it. And that's my point. When you look at the Word of God, you can think of anything you want to think about. If it's not in here, you and I are making it up or guessing, right? And that's okay. I tell people all the time, here's my gas bubble. Here's what I think, right? It's okay, but tell people that. This is what I think. If I say, thus saith the Lord, the Lord better thus saith, amen? He better say it. If he doesn't say it, then I don't know. So... My whole thinking on that was, well, no, I don't have a prayer language like what you're describing. Because, and I quoted this verse right here, 1 Corinthians 12, 11. He gives them as he determines. And he goes, that's a really interesting verse. And then proceeded to walk away. <laughs> I'm like, well, I guess our conversation's over. But kind of as he was leaving, he was like, don't forget to work on that in practice. And I'm like, oh, my gosh. <laughs> so, you know what? And there's a point for that and a place for that. But you don't practice to receive a gift. You can practice a gift after you have it, but not on the reception piece of this. So we'll talk about that more here in just a little bit. Con continuing on, verse 12, chapter 12. The body is a unit, though it is made up of many parts, and though all its parts are many, they form one body, so it is with Christ. For we were all baptized by one spirit into one body, whether Jews or Greeks, slave or free, and we were all given the one spirit to drink. And I would also add, this is me talking, not the Lord, uh, young or old. Been coming to church since you were two, or you just started two days ago, right? We're all one body. Now the body is not made up of one part, but of many. If the foot should say, because I'm not a hand, I do not belong to the body, it would not for that reason cease to be a part of the body. And if the ear should say, because I'm not an eye, I do not belong to the body, it would not for that reason cease to be a part of the body. If the whole body were an eye, where would the sense of hearing be? If the whole body were an ear, where would the sense of smell be? But in fact, God has arranged the parts in the body, every one of them, just as he wanted them to be. Don't get hung up on any one particular gift for a person or a church, or an organization. That's principle number two. If the first words out, of, and, and this seems to be, it seems like tongues. Everybody's always after the gift of tongues. There are lots of gifts in the scripture. Some of them are, are lined out plainly. Others, we're guessing at. We're think, I think there are more gifts even than what are, what are there. Because we're talking about the God of the universe, right? There are probably other things going on out there. Maybe you've taken one of those spiritual gift tests, and you're like, I didn't come up on any of those. That's because a man made that test, right? Or a woman. But my point is, I believe that there, there are scriptures way back in the Old Testament where they are 
putting together the tabernacle and the temple, and it says that the Spirit of God came upon them and gifted them in the areas of craftsmanship to make gold and scarlet and purple yarns and to make all of these tabernacle furnishings. Now, would you call that a spiritual gift? I would, because he said the Spirit of God came on them and they did it, right? But it's not listed in the New Testament as a spiritual gift. So what I'm saying is there, is, there are lots of things out there. Let's not get hung up on tongues or hung up on prophecy or hung up on any one particular gift. There are many, many out there. Now, let's skip over to verse 27. He says, now you are the body of Christ and each one of you is a part of it. So... You know those days like today when it's snowing or you think it's going to snow or you've heard about it and you're like, I'm not going today. I don't feel like it. Do you know that when you don't come and be a part of the family of believers that the rest of us suffer because we can't see now because you were the eye. We can't use our left arm because you're not here. And I know that some of you probably don't think that you bring anything to the table, but I'm telling you that you do. You bring something to the table. Shoot, we were just in Clint's class this morning over here. Fantastic. Fantastic to come in there and just learn some stuff about things. And I read the Bible all the time, and I'm like, I've never heard that. Love it. And I would have missed out on that had I not been there this morning. But it's extra godly to get up that early, let me tell you. I, I was suffering. But we did it. We did it. We are a part of the body. Verse 28 through 30. And in the church, God has appointed, first of all, apostles, second prophets, third teachers, then workers of miracles, also those having gifts of healing, those able to help others, those with gifts of administration, and those speaking in different kinds of tongues. Do you notice which one was listed last? Just saying. Now, here's the rhetorical questions that Paul asks. Are all apostles? The answer to that is no. Are all prophets? No again. Are all teachers? Test question. No. Do all work miracles? Do all have gifts of healing? Do all speak in tongues? The answer to that is no. That's why he's asking the question. Do all interpret? No, you do not. That's the whole point. He's saying that we all bring different pieces to this. All of us. So here's principles three and four. Every Christian has at least one spiritual gift. Upon the moment that you came to Christ and the Holy Spirit was given to you and it indwelled your body, you received a spiritual gift of some kind. Maybe more, not all of them, but you received at least one. There are combinations that are out there. A lot of times you will find that um, pastor-teacher combinations exist, for example, and, and Scott's a perfect example of that. He literally has the gift of pastoring, and the gift of teaching, and some other gifts, probably don't know, well, grown hair won't be one of them, but he's got some other spiritual gifts that he brings to the table, right? I hold the office of pastor, but I don't have that spiritual gift. I'm horrible at that. I can teach, but I can't do this. And I can do some administrative things, so I have, I think, more on that side of the fence over there. So every Christian has at least one gift, probably more, but not every Christian, and this is principle number four, has all of the gifts. There's no such person out there. Now, that doesn't mean that the Holy Spirit couldn't come upon you to do some miraculous thing at that moment. You've heard of people who are like pick up cars, you know, because their dog is pinned underneath of it and stuff like that. God could do anything he wants, anytime, anywhere, with any person. Amen? Anytime. 
That's the God that we serve. So I'm not excluding any of that. And I'm not picking on any one particular gift either. I'm just saying, let's get our heads straight with what we know that God says, because there are some other things out there that is guesswork on our part, but we, we operate out of that like it's theology. It's not good theology. Let's go by what we know for sure. So let's go to verse 31. Eagerly desire the greater gifts. So that tells me right there that there are levels and layers of these gifts. And he says to eagerly desire the greater gifts. Now, what does that look like? I don't know exactly what that looks like. Is that just a a hopeful and intense prayer that I give? But I will tell you that one of the principles, and, and this would be number five already, is that ask God. Ask God to give you the greater gifts, whatever those are. If you have something in particular as you look at this list, and you're like, Lord, I would want that one. But then you're going to have to do a heart check and figure out why, right? So he says in Luke eleven thirteen that if you ask him, he will give you the Holy Spirit. So this is more on the salvation end, but if the, if the creator of the cosmos, as Max says, is willing to give you the Holy Spirit, don't you think he's willing to give you one of the gifts of that same spirit? Of course he is. He's willing to do that. But our heart has to be in the right place. And he wants to know what your motive is. And what is it that you're trying to do? So what are the greater gifts? That would be my next question. Well, I'm glad you asked. Because he tells us in a couple spots what those are. In a couple spots. Not every single one, but he tells us. So look at chapter 14. He says in verse 1, 1 Corinthians chapter 14, Follow the way of love and eagerly desire the spiritual gifts, especially the gift of prophecy. In 32 years of being a Christian, I have never had anybody come up to me and ask me, are you, are you really working on your gift of prophecy? Have you ever had that? Be, if you are, I'd, you'd be the exception. I've never had anybody ask me that. Or are you desiring this gift? Are you pursuing the Lord about this gift? I've never, I actually added that to my prayer list probably two years ago. So first 30 years went by and I went, huh, he actually says to desire prophecy. I should write that down. So I did. You see what I'm saying? But that's in here. I don't have to guess. I don't have to wonder if that's one of the greater gifts. Paul says it is. Plainly, I should be pursuing that. And don't think of prophecy. I'm not going to get too deep in the weeds on each of these gifts, but don't think of prophecy as somebody who just foretells the future. It's the person who has, you ever heard this? I have a word for you. I love that. As long as it's coming, it's okay. If it's from you, then say, this is from me. Here's what I think. If it's from the Lord to me, to you, it better flippin' be from the Lord. When I was having back issues last year, I had somebody come up and more than once, three times, pronounced me healed. And all three times, I was not healed. I could barely walk. I was ready for a wheelchair. You know what I got healing from? The surgeon that God put in my life. That's how I got healed. And, I'm, and I still think it's the Lord. I'm fine with that. It was definitely God. But these people who came and gave these prophetic words to me were not prophetic. And the scriptures are very plainly telling you that if somebody says, this is from the Lord and it doesn't come about or it's not true, it wasn't from the Lord. And therefore, those people were making that up in their own heads. Probably out of good intentions. But I don't want to base my theology and my life on good intentions. I want to base it on what God says, right? 
if God gives me a word for you specifically, and I have a prophetic word, trust me, I'll say, hey, this is what the Lord is, is telling me to tell you. And I don't, if I had the gift, I would say, trust me, this is going to come about. You know, it's kind of like when Daniel's buddies were getting ready to be thrown into the fire, and they're like, oh, we will be delivered. Trust me. They said it matter-of-factly. And they said, but even if he doesn't, we're still not going to fall down and worship that statue. But the point was, they, they, they made no bones about it. They weren't guessing that God was going to come in there and save them. They said, oh, he will. Watch. <laughs> you better be right if you're going to say that kind of thing, right? You better be accurate. And some folks aren't. They just make it up out of their own head. So desire the greater gifts, especially prophecy. Now he goes on in verse 12 to tell you even more. He says, in verse 12, I can pull it up here. So it is with you. Since you're eager to have spiritual gifts, try to excel in gifts that build up the church. So we're always harping on tongues. You know, it says in these same chapters here between here and Romans that tongues actually edify yourself. Not the church, you as an individual. Nothing wrong with that gift. If you have the gift of tongues, I'm not picking on you. I'm just saying that Paul says that's what it does. It's more about you. And he says, I would rather have you focus on these gifts because these build up the whole church. So I made a list of some of the spiritual gifts that build up the church. There are more. This is just a, a little snapshot. So when you think of prophecy, that would do it. Encouragement, preaching, teaching, words of wisdom, exhortation, which is like counseling, right? Serving, giving, all of those things build up the church and build up one another. Again, that's why we need each other. That's why we have to be in fellowship. That's why we have to be in church. That's why we need to be in small groups. The rest of us miss out on whatever that other person is bringing to the table. We have to have those things. We have to. It says in 1 Corinthians 14, verses 32, that the spirits of the prophets are subject to the control of the prophets. That tells me that your own spirit, you have control over your gifts. There is no gift that overtakes you that would make you start twitching and rolling up and down the aisles, doing a half gainer over the pews and flipping out and handing out rattlesnakes and doing whatever else they do out there, right? You have control of the spiritual gifts. And that's why when Paul says, even if you're speaking in tongues, you take turns. It's not like something just goes, blah, 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 and I just start flapping some prayer language out loud where I'm screaming over everybody and making it totally chaotic and being disorderly. You have control. I have control over the prophecies that I would bring forward. I don't have that gift. But if I did, I would have control of that. I have control over my encouragement and my teaching and everything else, right? Why is it all of a sudden we're like, okay, those are out of control. When the Spirit does that, there's nothing you can do about it. No, that's not what the Scripture says. Not what it says at all. So, principle number six, you can and must control your gifts and how they manifest themselves in public. Because 1 Corinthians 14, same chapter down in verse 33, says that God is not the author of chaos. He's not a God of disorder, ever. Have you ever gone up and tried to buy a new car? And you're like, you've got to have this thing right now. You've got to take it right now. It's $14.95. It's going to be 275% interest. I don't care. You've got to have it today or the deal's going to go away by tomorrow. And you start going, <laughs> and you start having that panic mode and you start getting into chaos. Not from the Lord. He's not a God of disorder. The second you feel that, I hope you remember, if you remember nothing else today, remember that. No. Be like Neo. No. Just not going to do it. Right? I'm not going to do it. Don't get into that chaotic mode. That's not from God. 
That is Satan that causes you to rush. That is Satan that causes you to get into that stage where you are running on emotion instead of on faith. And James says everything that's not done in faith is sin. I don't know about you, but when I get up in the morning and I make my coffee and my bagel, I don't do that out of faith. I'm just, I'm just doing it. It's part of my routine. And I don't think he's talking about those little trivial things, but I do think he's talking about as you're going through life day to day, you should be cognizant of what the Lord says, what, he, what, I'm, what I need to do based on what he's telling me. This is what the scriptures I have in my mind that back up for or against that decision, one of which could just be seeking counsel, right? Plans fail for lack of counsel. When you're unsure of what to do, seek counsel. That's a godly principle. You don't have to guess as whether that's a good thing to do because he's already told us that's what we should do. Now I'm going to switch gears a little bit, go over to Romans chapter 12, verses 3 through 8, because this too talks about spiritual gifts. For by the grace given me, I say to every one of you, do not think of yourselves more highly than you ought. I would add, and this is me, not the scripture, I would add, don't think of yourself more lowly than you ought also. Any one of those is about you, right? You ever heard that phrase, you just need to love yourself? No, you don't. We already love ourselves. God said love others as you love yourself, right? We don't need to love ourselves more. Even if you are depressed, hurt, angry, bitter all the time, your life was horrible and it was hard, you're still thinking about yourself, and that's what makes it love. So don't think of yourself more highly than you ought. Don't think of yourself more lowly than you ought either. Rather, think of yourself with sober judgment. That means you look at your life, you look at yourself, and you go, you know what, I'm spot on in this area, and these areas I'm not. This I rock and roll, this I don't. A friend of mine told me uh, two days ago that he did not think of himself as a man because of some of the failures in his life. And I immediately, because of the Word of God, said, no, you have some areas of your life that are unmanly, but you've got several that are manly. Focus on those and see if we can't help repair some of these over here. But don't take your overall identity and say, I'm not a man or I'm not a woman of God because I, I fail in some areas. Right? That's humanity. Of course you're going to fail in some areas. So he says to look at yourself with sober judgment in accordance with the measure of faith God has given you. That's twice now. I don't know if you notice that. Verse 3, he says the grace is given to you. And he says later on that faith is given to you. So... This is the God that we serve. He gives you the Holy Spirit. He gives you the spiritual gifts. He gives you the grace, and he gives you the faith. None of that is conjured up initially from within. They're all gifts, and they're all from the Lord. Now, he wants me to work on those things. He wants me to get better at those things, but they all come from him. I love that. Just as each of us has one body with many members, and these members do not all have the same function, so in Christ we who are many form one body, and each member belongs to all the others. We, nobody in here is an island in and of themselves. You shouldn't be anyhow. That's not how we're supposed to live. I know that church people are a pain in the rear end. Amen? If you agree with me, just, just can we get a show of hands? Church people are a pain. Yeah, that was not near enough hands. You guys are in better circles than I am. Pastor Scott raised his hand because he was thinking of all you people. So, but we are. We're a pain. We are a pain. God says, in the middle of your pain and being like you are, sinners that you are, can you come together 
and fellowship with one another and encourage one another and love one another and, and do what you're supposed to do because we're all different members. We're one family, good or bad, and most of our families are bad, not all of them, but we're one family. And I don't know about you, but our, sometimes my, I don't know about you guys, my church family's way better than my regular family. And I don't mean my, my family here, I meant my extended family. I'm like, well, you people really got some issues. Anyway, we who are in Christ form one body. We have different gifts according to the grace given us. There it is again. If a man's gift is prophesying, or a woman's, let them use it in proportion to his faith. If it's serving, let him serve. If it's teaching, let him teach. If it's encouraging, let him encourage. If it's in contributing to the needs of others, let him give generously. If it's leadership, let him govern diligently. If it's showing mercy, let him do it cheerfully. I love that because he's saying if you have all these gifts, I want you to use them. And he tells you how to use them. And he says in accordance with the measure of faith and the measure of grace that's given you and everything that comes with it. I love it. So I don't know if you guys know this or not, but since all of these things are gifts, so let's say that there were three people up here and we all had the gift of teaching, for example. This person could get ten talents worth of faith with their gift of teaching, this person five, and me too. So we all have the gift, but they're going to rock and roll a whole lot more with that gift than I will because they've been given more faith and more grace with that gift. Now that brings up another theological question, because if God is the one who gives us the faith to begin with, then how can Jesus sit there and tell people as he was ministering to them, ye of little faith? I'll tell you how. Because they weren't measuring up and even acting in the amount of faith that they had been given. They were given two talents of faith and they were operating on one. They were given 25 and operating on 10. So he says, you have little faith. But he's the one who gives us our faith. So if God has given you this much faith and he's given you this gift, that's where he wants you to operate initially. Right? Now, you can get better at it as time goes by which I'm going to talk about here. So now I've got a, those were the two major chapters that I was going over. Now I'm going to give you a couple stragglers. So turn, if you will, to 1 Timothy 4, verses 14. And he says, Do not neglect your gift which was given you through the prophecy when the body of elders laid their hands on you. So that particular gift could have been the gift of the Holy Spirit in itself. Maybe they laid their hands on him and that's how he got saved. It's possible. It's also possible that it was a spiritual gift after he was already saved. Because he tells him in several places, I want you to, to bring this thing to fruition. But the first part of that is do not neglect your gift. So, guys, when you're, when you're not part of the body and you're not, you're not here or you're not doing what God wants you to do, you are neglecting that gift. You have something stirring up inside you. You ever have that fire in your belly? And you're like, I really just want to be doing this with my life. I don't know how I got stuck in the cubicle over here when God is calling me to do this. I feel it, and it is oozing out of my pores, and I can barely contain it. When you start to feel that, you know that you are somehow neglecting it. So here's my encouragement for you for the day, and that is to get some traction with that thing. Find somehow to release that gift. We in the body need it for sure. Other people need it out there. You've got something in there. God, if you have given your life to Christ, you do have a spiritual gift, and God does want you to use it. Don't neglect that thing. It's powerful. It's important. Don't look down on yourself because you don't have this gift or this gift. Take the one that God has given you and get some traction with it. Do something with it. Even if you start small, 
At least you got some traction with it. At least the, the, you know, the ball's rolling. Something's happening. That's what God wants us to do. First Timothy 1.6, he says, For this reason, I remind you to fan into flame the gift of God, which is in you through the laying on of my hands. So after you receive this gift, however you get it, could be a bunch of people laying their hands on you, could be just your prayer, could be whatever. After you think, you got this little ember of this gift, and he's saying, I want you to fan that thing into a roaring flame. I want a fire, right? Moses' whole life was changed by one burning bush. Trust me, that fire matters. Fan that thing and get some traction going and, and watch this thing blow up. Because there are, we all need, we need each other. We bring so much to the table, so much. Fan it into existence. So this is principle number eight. We're going to use our gifts and actually get better at them as we practice them. So this is what I was alluding to earlier. You don't practice in order to get a gift. You practice that gift after you've received it. If you look at Paul at his conversion, everybody says, all right, he was a tent maker. I'm like, yeah, at the beginning he was. He was supporting himself. But it says that as he, he started preaching immediately, this guy was like off his rocker, right? However, he was persecuting the Christians, and then he got saved. Well, he was still off his rocker, only now he had the Holy Spirit, right? He's like, bop, 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 bop. He's letting people have it. Immediately he starts preaching. But it says in the scriptures that the more he preached, doesn't say it in these words, this is me talking, the more he preached, the better at it he got. He got so good. Well, there are people around the world who aren't even saved to this day who know who the Apostle Paul is. Based on what God had given him, he fanned into flame that very thing, and he went out and he did it, and he did it, and he did it. And then this thing blew up. That's what God wants us to do with the gifts that he's given, given us as well. Just because you have a gift doesn't mean you're supposed to put it on autopilot, right? And a lot of us do that. And I know that life is frustrating and life is hard. And I know that things overtake you and it makes things difficult. But wouldn't it make sense that in the middle of your difficulty and in the middle of things being hard and church people being a pain, if you were using your gift anyhow, right? You had a death in your family but you have the gift of encouragement and you still know how to encourage others even though you're going through your stuff. Wouldn't that be powerful? Isn't that what Jesus did? It says he was a man acquainted with sorrows. You know one of the stories that blows me away is on the way to the cross. On the way, he's already been beat up. He's already bloody. He's holding his crown. He's, he's marching along and he stops and ministers to a gal in the crowd. He just starts talking to her. And I'm like, you got to be kidding me. If any time you wanted to fall down and just bleed for a while, it would have been right then. But he doesn't. He just says, oh, there's a need right there. Let me minister to that. And then he goes on his way. Blows me away. Can't imagine that. So after you've received these gifts, after you've been practicing in them, so we're going to get to another principle, and this comes from 1 Peter 4.10. And he says, each of you, should use whatever gift you have received to serve others as a faithful steward of God's grace in its various forms. So this is principle number nine. Spiritual gifts are for you to serve others, especially those in the church. My bride, Heidi, and I were talking about this this morning on the way up here, and it's like, you know, for years we were in the military, and so the bulk of our ministry was all evangelism, 
and a little bit of equipping and establishing new believers and things like that, which is good. There's a place for that. But churches were kind of always like offish almost. It's like, now those church people, I'm not going in there. We've got, we got our own ministry. We've got our own thing over here, and we're doing this, right? That, that's thinking of yourselves more highly than you ought. Because it, I didn't, it didn't occur to me that the folks in the church were the ones who needed our spiritual gifting the most. But if you have a gift like evangelism, yeah, that's going to be out there. But the second they get here, then the rest of us who have those gifts of encouragement and everything else, that's where we rally around and go, okay, now we're going to build you up in the faith like the Scripture says. And I, 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 I'm not one to, I don't want to shoot arrows, but I feel like we fail in that area. We just, we come, we go to church, we go to lunch, and we go home, right? There's no building of the faith, that mutual edification like we're supposed to have. We're, we do okay, but I think we could do a lot better, especially if you know your gift, especially if you start putting that thing into practice and do something with it. 1 Corinthians 13 kind of sums it up and this is where he starts talking about love i'm not going to get into the love piece i got a friend of mine i don't think justin's in the service he's like if i hear that love chapter one more time i'm gonna scream so if he's in second service though i might say it so this is what paul says first corinthians 13 if i speak in the tongues of men and of angels but have not love i am only a resounding gong or a clanging cymbal he says, you are making a bunch of noise. You have all thrust, no vector. All right? You ever meet those people that are totally zealous and, like, and they're all fired up, but they don't know what the Word of God says at all? all right? And that's, that's the guy who approached me on the cruise ship. Hey, how's your prayer language? All right? He was all excited, probably with good intentions. But I think he was missing the boat on what God actually says. I still, to this day, don't have a prayer language. I'm 52 years old. You know what? I think I'm still going to make it. I'm going to be okay. I don't have that gift. And I'm supposed to be pursuing the greater gifts anyway. He goes on in 1 Corinthians 13 to say, if, check this out. This is over the top. If I have the gift of prophecy and can fathom all mysteries and all knowledge, and if I have a faith this high, I got 2,000 talents of faith. If I have a faith that can move mountains but have not love, I am nothing. This is Paul, Mr. Zealous of all people being zealous. He's like, without love, it doesn't mean squat, none of your gifts. So that has to saturate everything. So I'm going to serve with my gifts out of love. I'm going to minister to the other pain in the rear end church people out of love. Not because they deserve it, but because that's what God asked me to do, just like he did with me. Anytime you think your children are being a big pain in the rear end, just remember, that's how God looks at us in one sense. Of You're a big pain, but I'm going to love on you anyway, and I'm going to give you these gifts anyway, and I want you to use them anyway. That's the God we serve. He goes on to say, if I give all I possess to the poor and surrender my body to the flames, but have not love, I gain nothing. That's pretty powerful. And I think, I think, this is me talking, that's what Jesus is talking about when he's talking to some of those disciples and he says hey you guys have done this 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 and this and they're like lord we threw out demons in your name and we did this and we fed the homeless and we did this and he's like i don't even know you you see how it's possible to do the right things 
And if you're missing out on the love and if you're missing out on the motivation behind it and where God's heart behind it, you can miss the whole boat. A friend of mine said not too long ago, you only missed, you didn't miss much, just the whole boat. And I'm like, I'm going to remember that. Let's not miss the boat with this thing. He has given us the Holy Spirit if you've given your life to Him. He's given us gifts of the Holy Spirit. He's given us grace. He's given us faith. All of those things wrapped together and they're all saturated with love. That's what it's supposed to look like in here all the time. And I know it doesn't always look that way, but it starts with us as an individual. So before the band plays this last song, if you have never given your life to Christ, if you don't even know what that means, come up front here and see one of us. Uh, my wife Heidi's up here. Chad's up here. Bear, Bear Paul's up here. I'll be up here. If you've never given your life to Christ, come give your life to Christ. That Luke 11 verse says, will I not give the Holy Spirit to those who ask me? Of course he will. And you'll get a spiritual gift in it too. And then you'll have a place. And you'll feel like you belong, because you do. And you'll feel like you're here to make a difference in this world with God's kingdom. Amen? Let's pray. Lord, thank you so much for the gift of your Holy Spirit. Lord, may we understand just a little more today about what it is that you want with us, what he's trying to do in our lives, the work that he wants to do. Father, if there's anybody here who's getting poked in the heart, who wants to come to know you for the first time, would you give them the courage supernaturally to come forward, Lord, so that we can pray with them and love on them and show them how they can have a right relationship with you and start this process. Father, we ask all these things in the glorious name of your son, Jesus Christ, who took every ounce of it to the cross. It's in his awesome name that we pray. Amen.